We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And, you know, uh, my guest today is from Being the Ricardos. We're going to talk about his career and everything. Jeff Holman. Jeff, thanks for stopping by, man. And we're going to talk about your career and all these different things. But ultimately, Being the Ricardos, which I watched, and I don't always get to say I've watched shows because I'm just a busy guy. I got all these interviews, watching different streams, and it was just a great, great production. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've you're seen welcome. some of your interviews and man, you're terrific. I, I really like your uh, your questions and the rapport that you have with your uh, guests. Uh, I was really looking forward to coming on here. Well, I greatly appreciate that. And it's just from doing it too long. It's from doing it. Anything you do 10,000 hours, done 7,000 plus interviews. It's interesting. I'm moving my one house that I house, one of my podcasts out of that place and there's like 12 years of it and it's like and i only could transfer a certain amount i'm like i hope i have all these files and i have them oh. in different things but i'm really going more big into the tv end of things because ultimately at the end of the day to get to see yourself with the celebrity on video is much more powerful and i'm sure you pick those to watch versus listening to an interview i did seven years ago so it's it's, it's just all about it and i'll be doing a lot of downloading this weekend so let's jump specifically to y'all did you always want to be an actor was that something growing up you wanted to do you know what yeah i, I started really young i started in uh, first grade we did a production of noah builds an ark and every kid in the class had to do a paper mache animal and although I'm really into arts, not so much into crafts. So I was like, oh, gosh, does everyone have to do paper mache? And they're like, well, Noah doesn't. And I'm like, I want to be Noah. You're there. You're there. I'm going to be. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Everyone's like, what? I, I'm the only person who wants to be Noah? Well, as it turns out, Noah has to sing a song in front of the entire school and all the parents. And I was like, oh, singing, paper mache. Let's go with singing. And I'm not a singer per se. So I thought that I'd be just completely terrified, but some kind of little spark ignited when I was out there singing my little song. It was, oh, Noah built himself an ark, one wide river to cross. He built it out of hickory bark, one wide river to cross. So, like, this song goes on, and like the kids are going back there. And I, I don't know, some happened. I just, some flame ignited inside me and I was just like okay I At like first this grade you figured it out that's pretty good I want to do this forever you figured it out in first grade and you want to do it forever so when what would you consider your big break when did you decide you're I'm going to Hollywood or the whole process you know what I I think that it was in high school I I, I had always wanted to be an actor but it was sort of like, yeah, it's, it's a pie in the sky thing, you know, I got to think of something more practical. And then my high school theater teacher cast me as the lead in this play, Dark of the Moon. Her name is Michelle Busty. Um, and she just gave me so much confidence as cast me as the lead in that, that I was like, you know what? Maybe I'd be able to do this as a living, you know? And so... I, when I went to school, my, my uh, college, my dad was like, okay, we all know you can act. You don't need to go to learn how to act. So if I'm paying for school, you're going to have to study something more like serious. Okay. Science-based. Yeah. He's a chemistry and math double major <laughs> and he's a doctor. So he's like, no, no, yet be more practical. I'm like, okay. 
So I chose marine science. Mm, okay. Uh, and um, once I graduated from that, I, I, I came home with my science degree and I was like, okay, time to get back to acting. And uh, <laughs> yeah. did you act in school? Like when you're in college, did you do any acting? No, no. And I, in fact, I, I auditioned for the school play in my freshman year, booked the lead. And then they found out that I was a freshman. They're like, oh, we've got this rule. No freshman can participate in plays because it's just so busy as a freshman. And I'm like, forget this then. Forget it. I'm out of here. So I just never went back to the theater the whole time I was in college. Um, so I think when I, when I graduated, I, I really wanted to get back to acting. And so I did non-union commercials and films in Denver and getting ready to make my big move to LA. So finally got out here to LA and, um, I'd say another big break I had was getting my, my SAG card. Um, the, in order to get your SAG card, as an extra, you have to do like three extra jobs where you can, where like a union extra didn't show up. And so okay. you can get one of their vouchers. It's kind of difficult to do. The other way is you get a speaking role in a movie or a TV show. And then they do what's called a Taft Hartley, where they basically pay a penalty to use you. And then you get into the union. So that was a huge lucky break that I got into the union. That was in 99 and um, just been going at it ever since. See, that's a, that's a great thing for sure. And uh, when you think about specifically opportunities and stuff, what do you think you're best known for of some of the projects you've done before talking about being the Ricardos? I'd say uh, Grey's Anatomy was okay. one of the, one of the big ones. Uh, I still get, uh, recognized on that sometimes. That's cool. uh, I had this. Yeah, I had this scene with Sandra O oh, where I'm getting uh, angioplasty, and um, I remember the audition. I wanted to have some kind of really funny ending to the audition, so the 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 guy is like, you know, sort of laughing, and I'm like, wouldn't it be hilarious if I would sort of drift onto drift into unconsciousness? at the time. So in the audition, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and the, the director who was Debbie Allen from fame, okay. fame uh, you want to get famous? Well, here's where you start paying in sweat, right? Debbie Allen. So Debbie Allen's like, Oh, the competition's eating up in here. <laughs> so that was huge getting that. Cause that was one of my first guest stars. That's cool. And, yeah. And so you're, you're a comedian too. Is that correct? You do comedy? Uh, I'm a comedic actor, but I don't do stand up. Uh, I've, I've tried figuring out how to write jokes and I just cannot figure it out. Like I've read books about it and they're like, here's the setup and here's the turn and here's this. And then here's where you think about something funny to say about it. And I'm like, yes, that's the part I can't, that's the part I need help with. See, so. I think you'd be great if you start just continuing to go after it, just figure out, have figure out to write some material, but probably too busy doing auditions and opportunities. Anything else you said, Grace, you were known for, what other things? Before? Parks and Rec, Parks and Recreation. Uh, I got hired to do just a, a one-liner on that. And in the course of filming the scene, Amy Poehler started doing an improv with me. 
And I was like, oh yeah, I do improv, no problem. So I just like kept improv with her and we went back and forth for about five, six minutes. And then finally the director yells, cut! And all the cast and crew like bust up laughing. And then the director comes over and she's like, we're gonna give you some more lines. And that turned into a nine line guest star just from that improv. So that was really, does, really so cool. That, does that change things after that opportunity, Parks and Rec? Would you say that really opens up doors after getting- Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, huge, huge. Um, that's when some of the bigger stuff started to come in. Um, and just recently I did a, a, a guest star on Better Things and I used this uh, New Orleans accent, which I had never done before. Give me, give me it, let's hear it. Oh, okay. So, um, all right. So there's a special way. Let me tell you the, briefly the story of, of how I got the accent. Uh, basically, I, I went into the audition and I did like just sort of like a general Southern and the, the casting assistant was like from New Orleans. And she's like, okay, what you're doing sounds kind of more Charleston, but if you rock it back into the back of your jaw, it'll be more New Orleans. Try it again. So I tried it like that and they're like, okay, okay. So then I was leaving the audition and I saw this guy who like, I see it all the auditions and he usually books it instead of me, right? And I was like, oh, this guy, damn it. And he's got this natural Southern accent. And I was like, hey, where are you living now? And he's like, oh, I'm living in New Orleans. I was like, all right, that this is your job. Just go get it. I'm going to like stop thinking about it because I'm just not. And then they're like, oh, you booked it. I'm like, what? So I totally did not want to half-ass the accent, right? I wanted to really right. nail it. Exactly. So I started calling up dialect coaches and they're like, Uptown Garden District, New Orleans, never heard of it. Uh, try this person. And then they're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I just don't teach it. Try this person. And so I ended up finding a linguist, like a guy with a degree in linguistics. And the way you usually do an accent is you, the, the, the guy who does the accent says, like, this is how you say the first word. Right. This is how you say the second word. This is how you say the third word. Okay, now put them all together and memorize that. But this guy was like, okay, I'm going to show you how to hold your mouth and your tongue okay. so that everything you say comes out in that accent. All I'm right. like, what? So he's like, basically, got a pin your the points of your mouth down like this and then hold your tongue really flat and do the charleston accent and then everything comes out like new orleans that's it that's really good so what are you gonna, <laughs> what are you gonna get when are you gonna audition for that for something else out there right <laughs> I gotta yeah. put that. I gotta put that on my resume. New Orleans, it's, like, it's gotta go on your resume. Right after I did that, they canceled the NCIS New Orleans and some other New Orleans show, and I was like, "Oh, darn it! I just missed my opportunity." <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I gotta put that one on my resume. See, now. That accent could be in one of the big shows right now, where you got to say, "Hey, you got to bring a New Orleans person in," you know, and that's it. There you go. You know. Done. Done. It was great. On the on the day of the filming, our stunt coordinator came up to me and he's like, so we're from the South. 
where are you, you know, from the South? And I was like, oh, no, I was born and raised in Colorado. He's like, no way. I'm from Memphis. And I would swear you're from New Orleans. I was like, all right, that's all I needed to hear. So they've canceled those other New Orleans shows. So you have to think about what one, the History Channel, they got to need you for a voice like that. Something. Someone's got to need a Civil War reenactment type of movie coming out, whatever. Something. Anything. Okay. So, any other uh, after that? Any, what would you say? Other things you've had some opportunities, and then we're going to being the Ricardos because you've been acting for years, you know. That's right. I have. Um, You know, one of the very first things I did was Monk, and I absolutely loved that show. I mean, I watched it religiously, and my wife and I were like so into it that when I got on the show, I was like. Hey, uh, you guys, I noticed that that you said this thing about his ex-wife in, or about his, his deceased wife in season one. But then you said this other thing in season two, which is kind of contradictory. So, you know, which is it? And the, the director of the show goes, hey, Tony, this guy's an expert on the show. What do you think? And Tony's like, uh, it's both. And I was like, okay. So like, basically they hadn't even thought about this and it was only because I was like, so into it that they're like, um, all right, let's figure <laughs> it out now. But that was amazing. I, I absolutely love getting to work with Tony Shalhoub and uh, trailer Howard. I and mean, they were both like super, super cool. Um, that was one of the very first jobs I did. Uh, the OC Got to work with one of my heroes, Peter Gallagher. He's so, so fun to work with. He was super nice. We were do- shooting this uh, this night shoot in the rain where basically they wrecked in the rain. And I'm this trucker who comes along and I'm like, hey, you guys all right? I'm like shouting through the rain. And so they had brought out the rain machines and stuff. And and they, uh, they're like, make sure you dress in warm clothing because you're going to be soaked all night. <laughs> And the, the, the main cast had like wetsuits underneath their clothes and stuff. And, but um, man, that was fun. That was super fun. Yeah. I've had, I've had a bunch of, of really great experiences. You got uh, to meet awesome people and it's just, just starting. So let's talk about being the Ricardos. First, tell us the premise of the movie without giving away, but I mean, such a, so great. And then tell me about your character. So it covers uh, the, I love Lucy's show from a Monday table read to the Friday taping. And as Aaron, I'm going to quote Aaron Sorkin here. uh, He says that the Lucy's pregnant at a time when you're not supposed to have a pregnant woman on TV and she's accused of being a communist. Yes. And there's also rumors about Desi Arnaz's infidelity. So in addition to all of the stressors of putting on a show and making sure it's the best that it can be and dealing with all the egos and everything of all the other actors and and the director and producers and all that, then you have these major life things as well. So my character, Roger Otter, is that of a cigarette executive. See, the Philip Morris Company was the sponsor of the show. And so I'm the Philip Morris executive who tells them like, hey, you can do this, uh, but you can't do that. And 
you'll have to see the movie to see how well that goes for me. <laughs> so you got to say, this is so well done in the way that taking you through that, because not everyone knows about the whole communist thing. And it really speaks to now where people are being called out as an anti-vaxxer or, you know, or certain things, a conservative or, you know, just, or called out as a communist or a socialist. So this process that happened in this movie could ruin someone's career today, AKA Joe Rogan having that one person and then they cancel Joe Rogan. So it's not really changed that much, has it? Right, it's like that cancel culture that uh, everyone's in fear of. <clears throat> so they, you know, each, each one of these could have spelled absolute doom for them, but especially the communists. I mean, all, all that there had to be was a rumor that you could be a communist and you could be instantaneously blacklisted. Yep. Just gone. like you're saying today with the cancel culture. So, yeah, it's interesting how that hasn't really changed. Um, I think it's gotten a lot worse because of social media and everything. I don't think that yeah. they, the show would have been able to pull it off to today. If there was something so bigger than salacious, salacious yes, it would not, it would have been over. So for example, I think you may say, be right. I think you may be right. The only thing that really saved them was the brilliance and determination of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. So Desi saved them yeah, by getting into that last moment for sure. Yeah. My bet would be on them though, even if they were to, encounter something like this today uh they were so smart and so good and so daring in their solutions that uh my money be on them still and i think as i talked to you off air this should not just be a movie it should be a tv series that you it can should really totally. go back go back three i, I would years. love that because there's just so many stories that could be told about lucy and desi and different I experience. think it's a terrific idea. I think that we should absolutely, you and I should absolutely go to Amazon and be like, we've got this brilliant idea to make I'm it cool. into movies. I'm, TV cool. I'm there. I'm there for sure. And so I yeah, hope with they you got and me as EPs. I, I like that. And so the thing is, I see this opportunity that you just had as another big opportunity that the next show, because again, they have to create a show about a Louisiana. <laughs> From the, the, from the uptown garden district. Yes. That, uh, you know, is a truck driver by day. And uh, I don't know. You come up with something and it'll work. Sounds good. It'll, it'll and we'll pitch it. Because your accent is so good. Thank you. I was, I was saying you should be written in for the Gilded Age. Some Louisiana guy comes up to New York. I don't know. I got to even know the history. And as definitely not treated well in the gilded age i don't know if you've gotten to watch the show on hbo it's unbelievable uh, this this sounds perfect i you should be my agent uh like you're hey, fantastic you know, you know you know what you you know my number you give me the drill <laughs> i know how to pick up things i know how to promote people i know how to do things and that's the big thing is promote tell people what they're great at and that's it but i see something but you create a show but you can write yourself in as this Louisiana character everywhere. TV shows like all that because you have to really create this character more. Start thinking about it. The persona completely, what they eat, how they do, and just live that character acting. And then someone's going to say, we need someone from Louisiana. Your agent's going to find it. And there you go.
I love that, but I mm. also want you to get on stage and do stand up. If I know one of my colleagues did stand up, there's no reason you can't because you're funny. You're really funny. So thanks, I, man. Appreciate I, you I, saying I, that. I think you should really think about that. I think you should say, you know what, that's going to be on my wish list. I got to come up and write some material. Maybe the Louisiana guy is going to be the perfect first joke. Oh, uh huh. Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend, uh, Renee Percy, who is a, uh, a professional comedian, and she teaches a class. I've been thinking about taking her class. Yeah. You but have because you're funny. You're funny. You do that. So where can we connect with you, Jeff? Again, being the recorders right now on Amazon. Uh, any other uh, projects right now you want to promote? Or is it yes. Uh, Yellow Jackets. I have a recurring role in Yellow Jackets. I don't know if you've seen that show on Showtime. No, I have not. Oh, man, it's super intense. So the log line is that a group of high school soccer elite players, a girl soccer team is on their way to state championships. And they're the unlucky survivors of a plane crash in the remote northern wilderness. And it's about them surviving and uh, before they're eventually rescued. And then, of course, 25 years later, their characters now still trying to put their lives back together. It's really, really cool. And in that one, I play the uh, character of Randy Walsh, who is the best friend of Jeff Sadecki, who's married to the lead in the show, Shauna, played by Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky, by the way, is fantastic. Is this season really, one of really the Yellow Jackets? Actor. Is this season That's one? right. So when is, right. when is that going on Netflix? Because you know I'm going to be watching when it happens or wherever. Well, it so it was on Showtime and they just finished the uh, the end of the season just a couple of weeks ago. So you can check that out on Showtime On Demand. Um, at one point could be picked up by one of the. Absolutely. Shows. Probably Amazon, right? They do a lot That's of That's what I would think. That's yeah, what I yeah. Think. Amazon. Yeah, probably All right, that. where can we follow you and stuff, Jeff? Where's the best place on social media to find you? Jeff Holman official is my Instagram uh, handle. That's the best way to keep in touch. And then I'm also going to be in a show called Minx and that'll be in March. And uh, that's a show on HBO max about a young feminist who gets together with a low rent publisher to create the first women's erotic magazine. And that's only going to be on HBO Max, not just the HBO channels too. Are they going to play it too? I think I think so. I okay. think so. It's it's for HBO Max, but I think you'll be able to watch on HBO as well. I hope you can watch on HBO because I will be watching it, and I'll be letting you know, Jeff, what I think uh, for sure. And we appreciate Please you do. stopping by. But I'm waiting on that New Orleans character. Live it out, uh, definitely, and uh, appreciate you coming by. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I had a really good time. Yeah, thanks a lot. It. All right, take care. All right, you're watching and listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome him, Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you, man? What's up? I'm doing better. I had a little bout with uh, Omnicron, but I, I think I'm winning. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're winning. You stay safe, uh, definitely. And it's just a, a process. Everyone's getting it. 
Trust me, the whole world will at one point raise they had COVID and that's that it is what it is. And hopefully at one point in time, it everyone will get it so many times that it won't yeah. be as dangerous as it is because people stay safe, wear your mask, social distance as much as you can. I don't mind. I don't mind social distancing. I don't, I like this whole thing where I go from one call to the next, don't have to drive places. And my well, that's guess, cause that's cause you're antisocial, you know, but the oh, I guess, I guess I'm antisocial. Well, I just want to have my own studio and that's it. All right. So I'm excited to welcome to the program, Bailey Littrell and literal and literal literal. And Bailey <laughs> is the son of Brian of the Backstreet Boys. Bailey, thanks for stopping by. How are you, man? Of course. I'm great. How are you? Doing fantastic. And so the, the whole process of being a musician, how does that make you feel every day performing in front of people? Um, you know what? It's I mean, now it's just become such a routine that it, it doesn't seem like out of the ordinary. Uh, I will say, though, after COVID, stepping back, actually not being out there in front of a bunch of people, not having to socialize, you're like, wow, this is different. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a shock. I have actually, you know, enjoyed a little bit of the solitude, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ready to go back to normal at this point. And it's interesting. And then we're going to find out how he got his form of music because it's not definitely like uh, his father's. But Dave, I'm going to go right to the first question. Because your dad was so famous, did you always want to be a musician or you're going another direction right at the beginning? Or is this something said, I want to be part of that rush of the crowd. So I'm sure you got the opportunity to go to those and see him perform in front of thousands and thousands of people. It's a rush beyond belief. I was a former professional wrestler. I did most of the rush of 500 to a thousand people. I went, I did one WWE show where there were 17,000. I was looking out and I said, Oh my God, but it's a rush. That's not like nothing else, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, um, that, that is basically the, the driving force behind it all. I mean, you know, every kid has their dreams of being a professional athlete. Obviously, the literal boys were not big enough to do that. So we, uh, we, 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 uh, we do music. But I think growing up, um, you know, and seeing dad play those, those types of shows, I mean, they let me introduce them at five years old when we were playing those huge crowds. So it was like that was my first taste of it. And I thought, oh, this is totally something I want to do one day. I remember right before one of their shows, I went in their dressing room, put on like whatever outfit dad was getting ready to wear. And I was like standing in front of their mirror. I'm like, dad, can I be the sixth Backstreet Boy? And he's like, no, <laughs> but <laughs> he's like one day, he's like one day you're going to get your shot if you want to do this. And I'm like, well, when is that? He's like, well, you're like six now. So I'm not <laughs> sure. It's going to be a while. <laughs> so you're into country now, right? I am. Yes. Four so, years. In so your dad, um, I can't even remember what, what genre Backstreet Boys was, but as I recall, I don't think it was country, right? It was a boy band. <laughs> no, a boy yeah. band. And so when I say I'm a fan, Bailey, I, I mean, I, I was exposed to the music, not saying I'm yeah. going to concerts, even though I should have, yeah. because it would have been a good place to meet interesting people. But, you know, I remember seeing him on MTV and stuff and uh, it, it wasn't mm -hmm. your traditional classic country. Um, what kind of country? There's so many different kinds of country, uh, Bailey. What, what kind of country are you doing? You know, basically the first record uh, I came out with 770 Country was very country pop. Um, a lot of those songs 
Um, I hadn't really been writing that much at the time. It, a lot of them came from uh, a lot of my uh, good friends over at Tree Vibes, which is Florida Georgia Lines publishing company. Uh, great guys over there. That's how I met some of my closest friends I have now. Um, but this second album that I'm working on, this is more uh, really singer songwriter um, country. And so far, it's been 100% written by myself. So it definitely has a completely different feel to it. Um, every song really tells a story. Um, and uh, we've done full live bands so far. So it's, it definitely has a different feel. It's not as much of a, a country pop feel, but you've got a couple songs in there that are definitely going to hit home in that genre, though. Are you from Nashville? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, actually. Okay. So you're yeah, doing, I, doing all of this from Atlanta. So yes. So, country, and that, yeah. but, what's even happened in country music since the first time, Dave, you and I were interviewing the newer country stars. There has been this tremendous transformation of what a country music star is. Even three years difference, four years. I've interviewed country stars for the last eight years. And Dave and I from, you know, just anyone and anybody. But the big thing I saw on Explained, which I saw on Netflix, is specifically enough when we have seen an urban pop movement in country, it's changed the genre completely. You know, from, oh, yeah. it all started and then it's, and that, do you think that's what kind of really attracted you to country music? Is that kind of change? And I think, what, yes, I think it definitely opened me up uh, to, to thinking it was possible. You know, I, I grew up listening to country music uh, my whole life, just being from Georgia, uh, spending time with my grandparents. Um, and that's kind of what started it. But when it definitely became more mainstream and out there, kind of like, you know, give it a try. Uh, you know, I thought, I mean, why not? This this would be amazing to just try to venture into. Now, country as mainstream, as big as it is, it's still very small. So there's a tight group of people you have to get in with that have to really accept you. And then that's that's kind of your window. It's It's still it's like trying to make it to the big leagues. You're like, man, you know. I've been playing bars for four years. Like, you know, when's that next big step? So it's, it's definitely a different world. Like, you know, I got to open up for the Backstreet Boys when I first started. We were playing a 43-show tour, you know, playing 17,000 people a night. And that was like my first big tour. And then you come off of that and you do country tours and you're playing, you know, bars or you're, you're doing smaller venues and you're like, you know, it was kind of like a mind screw. You're like, oh, wait okay, now I'm in my own genre and I actually have to start from the bottom up. Like I, I have to do all this work. So that, that was a shock for a 16 year old, like, uh Oh, <laughs> like what, what am I doing? You know? And then you have to build up that courage to, uh, you know, to get where you want to be. I mean, like, I, I think after that, I gained a whole lot of confidence. Uh, it taught me so much and it's been seriously just so much fun uh, to be able to, to build my career and, and personally be able to sell out shows and watch those shows and venues grow, you know? And uh, I mean, one day if I ever can make it close to arenas, I mean, that's just going to be the best accomplishment, you know, just after seeing my dad, I mean, I don't, I can't tell you there, there is no golden standard. I mean, what he's been able to achieve um, it's very, very, very hard to chase. So all I'm going to say is, you know, I can, hope i just see a glimpse of that yeah 
you know, um, I'm sure your father is very proud of your accomplishments and is very supportive. Does he give you advice and do you listen to him? <laughs> yes. Yes. He, um, <laughs> yes. And yes. Yes. Both. Yes. He, uh, the best advice he's pretty much ever given me is just, you know, well, two things is owning the stage. I mean, that's the, the one big thing is comfortability on stage. If you do not have it, then I mean, you don't really have any anywhere to go from there. It's just you have to bring the crowd basically up on stage with you. Make them feel like you're singing to every single one of them and interacting. Because if you don't have that, if you don't catch the crowd, then, you know, then they're out of it. You're out of it. It's just kind of it doesn't feel like you're being able to relate to anyone. Second, it's just I mean, this sounds basic, but it's just being yourself, doing what you want to do, having the heart to to do it. That's all that matters. If you don't have the heart to do it, then do something else. And uh, you have to have that investment, you know? You know, and you talk about the the humble of playing in front of a hundred people after you played in front of 17,000. That's yes. going to be crazy. I mean, I've done the same thing where I, one night I'll wrestle in front when I was a pro wrestler, you know, eons ago, it was 30, 40 people one night, next night's 2000. You still got to bring it yeah. every night. And what do you say for people that say, I don't want to play in front of crowd, small crowds. I don't want to play in front. I only want big crowds or I'm not going. What would you say to them, especially with what you've done? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to say this is not a reality. Like it is not a, re a reality whatsoever. I mean, you have to go, you know, and, and build your way. I mean, there's some artists and it's a, you know, a very sliver, you know, of country music or pop or whatever genre that sometimes, you know, right out the gate, get that big tour where they get to open for a big act or whatever. And then they get kind of spit out into the, the real world of, okay, now you have to go actually sell shows. You're not an opener. You have to build your audience. You have to build your fan base. That is very tough. That's it's a mind screw. And it's like, you know, I just got this huge taste of what this is and now I have to go do it myself. Like, if you can't mentally do that, then do something else. Like, it's just the matter of you. I mean, you, you got to be strong. You got to be strong willed, strong minded, but you have to stay humble. And if there's not, you know, if there's not a grateful bone in your body for the people that showed up for you, if that's five, if that's a hundred, if that's 200, 400, I don't arenas, then you, you got to do something else. You know, I, I think I've learned, especially from my parents, it's just, you know, be grateful for everything you have, you know, when I would be frustrated, you know, like, man, I, I can't sell at a place bigger than this yet. And then finally, you know, you'd get there, but it was like, you know, look at the people in the crowd, look at these people that have flown in from New York, from South America, from Canada. I mean, these people are from right down the road or they, you know, they've come from all over the country just to pack this tiny little bar to watch you play, you know, like if you can't see that and be grateful, then, you know, that's tough. You got to rethink what you're doing. You definitely yeah. have to. Re that's a great point. Rethink what you're doing. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. So your dad is uh, is as hot as ever. Backstreet Boys. They're booking tickets uh, on concerts and filling up auditoriums, stadiums. I don't know. And um, <laughs> they still look young. <laughs> you know, it's not like the, the Beach Boys, you know, a bunch of uh, old 70 year old rockers, you know, are still <laughs> doing the things which these guys will probably keep doing it when they're 70 you know and yeah. that makes that makes you feel really old when all of your uh uh peers are are old men 
And then yes. you look in the mirror and you say, oh my God, I'm an old man too. <laughs> you know? I'm telling you, they, they've all had their moments where they're like, oh my God, we're getting old. And I'm like, and you you're guys the one, still- yeah, you're the one probably that says they're getting old, right? You really <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, you know what, guys, you look good. That's all that matters. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I can't guarantee that, you know, one of you aren't going to tear your ACL if you, you know, <laughs> you hit that one mark on stage or whatever. But listen, I mean, for, for instance, my dad just had knee surgery. We've been playing basketball and uh, we play basketball once a week. Dad just had knee surgery. He's fully recovered. I said, all right, old man, you got to get out there and hit your marks. I mean, it, it's time. So, and they're still dancing. I mean, like better than I'll ever be able to dance. That's one yeah. thing. I don't understand how they do it. The energy they still have. I mean, they, they get back into shape with the snap of the finger and they're, they're rolling. I don't get it. And the energy level of what they have to perform in a, in a concert. Yes. You don't have to do yeah. all that dancing, right? So no, I just get to clutch my guitar and yeah, I get to, I get to sit there and play. Like that's, that's the beauty of it. I've got two shows coming up. Uh, you know, this record coming out, I've got a single February 22nd, right? That single is the song I wrote basically 90% of its acoustic guitar. I just get to sit up there and, basically play this guitar and have a band and i'm like man i don't have to break a sweat this is pretty good that's enough this is a good thing to be thankful about i don't have to work out for two hours i get to just sit there and play so other than your dad and the backstreet boys who uh, inspired you and uh, who was like your mentor and and who are you trying to emulate uh, i know you're trying to be yourself but right. that all had to come from somewhere didn't it I think it's come from a a cluster of artists. Um, I gotta say John Mayer was like the first person uh, that really like, you know, inspired me. John Mayer's music, I think is something, uh, something completely just out of the ordinary that doesn't come along. He's a generational artist um, and his music is so creative and different. That's what I love about it. Um, And the man's able to do any genre he wants and be successful at it. So I definitely look up to, to him as a writer and as an artist. Um, I love a guy named Michael Martin Murphy that used to do country music years ago, uh, back in the 70s and the 80s. Um, obviously, Willie Nelson, you know, Merle Haggard. I look up to a lot of old country greats and John Mayer is the more modern influence that I think ties into all that. But um, those, are, those are just a few, I mean, I grew up listening yeah. to Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Obviously, they don't really resonate with I, I like the music. I you, but, you know, I like your I, history. Who got you into that? There you go. Well, yeah. um, my mom first off loved Frank Sinatra, and Dean Martin. Right, those were kind of our two. I called that our, our California playlist. So I I grew up kind of back and forth. We had a place in L.A. And so we would, you know, if we were ever cleaning the house or spending the day outside, we had our, you know, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett playing. And uh, I'd be back home in Georgia. My grandparents would be, you know, take me on a road trip somewhere. And we had, you know, Patsy Cline, you know, Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash, Tammy Wynette. So I got, you know, both sides of it. You know, I got history and country. And, and then I got to hear all the old, you know, vocal pop greats. Um, I mean, I love Lisa Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that you have come to appreciate the classic country because a lot of today's country people uh, don't, you know. It's, it's very true. That's the thing. I mean, yes, it has evolved. And I mean, everything's going to evolve and change. 
unfortunately, I mean, if we like it or not, but you know, the, the big difference is, I mean, there's a lot of great uh, changes that have been made to country, but also at the same time, I feel like we lose our roots and that's, that's what hurts. You know, it's just like, I'm trying to find that balance of keeping it classic, but yet giving it a new age sound. Um, And that's tough, but I, I'm, I'm trying to preserve the old and, and keep the keep the new, but it's like good for you. Uh, a, a group called Midland, uh, if you've heard of them, they're a they're a trio in country right now. They've they've been super successful. I love those guys. They're super down to earth, super sweet. Uh, I went to go see them at the Roxy uh, two months ago uh, down here in Atlanta, and they are classic as country can get. I mean, seventies, eighties inspired, and one of their hugest inspirations. Also, one of mine is the Eagles. So they, okay. they tie in a lot of the Eagles to, to what they do. So it has this fantastic sound to it. Um, and they're one of a kind. And they're really successful right now. And everyone's like, oh, this new stuff's so cool. I'm like, new? <laughs> like, go listen to 70s, 80s country and then and come back to me and tell me if Midland's new. Like, I'm telling you, their music is, is so classic. And I love it. So where do you think your music goes? And where, like, where do you want your music to go? What kind of... Uh where do you want to be the type of style music compared to what artists do you think you're kind of like right now? Um, a lot of people that have listened to this uh, record so far, which is kind of funny, have compared it to uh, John Mayer's Continuum album. It's very like, you know, big band. We've got, I've got two songs in there that kind of lean like R and B. It's just a very cool vibe. We've got some songs with that kind of sound a little bit funky. I mean, we've got, you know, heavy guitars in there, big live band. It's a it's a super cool vibe. It still leans, you know, more people have said it's it's kind of folk more than anything. Um, and I do like that. It's very singer-songwriter, very folk. It's not um, I mean, I'm still going for country, but it is very out of the box. Um, but I'm still trying to hit it home there. There's gonna be some songs, because I'm not finished with this record yet. Um, but there's still gonna be some songs on there that are you know, yet to be done that are, that are going to be more country. And uh, that's what I'm excited for. You're going to hear some steel and acoustic guitars and I'm ready for that. But uh, yeah, I've got, I've got this single coming out uh, February 22nd. Gone's the first one off the, off the record and it's available for pre-order today. And then we're still working on finishing up this, this upcoming album. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. So tell me about the single. So that's coming so out gone yeah gone i wrote almost two years ago now which is crazy um absolutely love that song uh definitely a storyteller song so uh the response i've gotten from it is it's been very great within the within the family i, I let the family hear everything and tell me what they think um i'm super super dear to my heart and i hope people will enjoy it it's very singer songwriter um but it's a uh, I mean, it really just tells the story of classic heartbreak, learning lessons. Um, and I think people are going to enjoy it. Uh, we get to showcase this sucker actually live uh, as a single for the first time, March 22nd uh, in Nashville. We're going to do like a showcase at uh, Jason Aldean's bar, I think, uh, downtown on Broadway. And then March 19th uh, in Woodstock, actually like 20 minutes away from my hometown, we're going to do a show at a place called Mad Life. So that's those two places, two days apart are going to be, you know, that 
showcasing of the song. A lot of new stuff from the record is going to get played, which is great. Um, and it's basically, you know, how we've kind of planned it is it's like a listening party live, you know, for the fans so that everybody can hear it and get that first taste of it. So I'm excited. It seems like really exciting times for sure. Uh, like hearing what's happening. Where are you performing? Places you're going to perform. So people that, again, were nationally syndicated all over the world and all the different places. Where are you going to be playing? So, yes, the Mad Life is the first one. That's the 19th of March. So that's that's going to be our first show. That's in Woodstock, Georgia. Woodstock. And then, yeah, that second one, the 22nd show, uh, you know, we're trying to lean. We're, we're really trying to get a date down. So I think it's going to be the 22nd. That's the that's the Jason Aldean's uh, downtown Broadway in Nashville. So that's going to be a blast. I'm going to try to get some other artists with me for that one just to some local, you know, Georgia guys to come in, rep our, rep our state in Nashville. So uh, I think we're going to do that. Um, it's going to be a blast, but I'm trying to think other upcoming shows, you know, we're going to have some this summer and we're just going to, um, you know, take it slow, but figure out, you know, the best markets and places to go. So um, probably a lot more in Georgia and probably some more in Nashville. All right. So last thing is Dave has a caregiving question. Go ahead, Dave. Well, uh, my my wife <laughs> needed a caregiver one day after 25 years of marriage, and she suffered a stroke, uh, lost her speech, became paralyzed. And uh, I was only 42 at the time, pretty young to have anything like that happening. And I'm sure uh, caregiving has rarely entered into your mind because you're so young. But, you know, everybody's got grandparents. Have you had any situations where... Um, you know, you know, somebody who is taking care of another one, a caregiver. Oh, of course. Um, mm. Just recently, actually, uh, my grandma has been going through some uh, some health struggles and it's mm. been uh, it's been really hard. We've been kind of taking care of her around the clock. Um, you know, she she had a heart attack. She actually had two heart attacks. Oh, wow. um, oh my God. And things kind of went, you know, downhill from there. She was in congestive heart failure. Oh. Um, so. You know, at one point we had her wearing that vest that like, you know, will shock you if your heart stops. You know, yeah. she's got a, a pick line. Uh, she's you know, she's got to wear that little bag around her shoulder like every day. And we have to change her male reno. And it's it's been it's been quite a lot. I've I think I've learned so much um, just from that. And it's I, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, what you just said, what you went through, because that's I mean, it's it's completely a life changing thing, um, yeah. taking care of somebody and having to put yourself aside, um, and give basically that person everything you've got. I mean, my mom's been taking care of her and my mom's two yeah. sisters. I mean, basically around the clock and mom's, you know, my mom's tired. It's been, yeah. it's been a whole lot, but when you love that person, I mean, it, it comes a lot easier. Yeah. Well, that's my mission. And, uh, I, I, I help caregivers to stay alive because 30% of them die before their loved ones do from the stress. So I yeah. came up with caregiverdave.com. It's a support group that will help them to put their oxygen mask on first, put their needs first, because if, if they go down, you know, you're both going down just like the analogy on the airplane. So make sure you uh, turn your mother on to, and her sisters on to caregiverdave.com. Because we want them all around here for a long time. Exactly. Well, and thank Bailey, you so much. Where can we find your website for best place to find info on your work? Where can you go? 
Okay, so Instagram still number one best spot. So that's Bailey um, underscore. Wait, Bailey Literal underscore music. Okay. Um, the website is baileyliteral.com. Okay. Um, you can find. I've got to update some stuff on there, but mostly you can find some stuff. But Instagram, I would say, is the hot spot to go to to find any new info on songs and stuff right now. All right. Well, fantastic. Best of luck. Continued success. I know you're going to have a great career and appreciate you telling stories and, uh, you know, continue to rock it. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. You guys are great. All right. Take care. All right. That was the caregiver Dave celebrity segment, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show here on the Total Media Network. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. And we have another amazing guest today, don't we? Yes, we certainly do a very inspiring guest. And uh, it's great to be here again today. So Awesome. And thank you again for your service and introduce our guest. Well, no problem. You know, it's my pleasure to uh, introduce a known noted comedian and actor of TV and also film, a very inspirational gentleman. Um, he's uh, been in Wilding Out. He was in uh, Big Mamas um, with Martin Lawrence. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Brandon T. Jackson. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Hey, how are you guys What's going on? We're doing well. How are, you, how are you dealing with quarantine? I love it. We came out with a, a, a full pandemic app which is great because uh we have kingdom pay out of covid uh, the ashes of covid we were able to help our community so i'm i'm very excited about that but um I, I, my hair has grown uh <laughs> i now have dreads um what else what else am i doing I'm, I'm a father i'm changing a lot of diapers there's no comedy anymore so now we're just i'm at home sitting looking at my wife and we love each other very much so <laughs> It's just a different yeah. thing. You're used to traveling and going everywhere, and now it's just there. And maybe it's, it's, awkward. Be, it's yeah. awkward. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's and not normal. Dr. Hall will tell us when it will be back to normal so, yeah. as he's in an emergency room doc, right? Dr. Hall, when is we when is the new normal gonna end and it'll be back to normal? What, what are you giving us a date? What do you think? Well, you know what? That's a very, very good question. It's hard to say in this environment, you know, because things are going to change really soon with the flu coming on. So um, it's, it's going to be a little while before you have a vaccine. So it's hard to predict. That's not good. I don't, that's not good news. Uh, Brandon and I <laughs> wanted to hear better news. And we wanted to hear better news for sure, but we didn't get it. We didn't get it. But all right, Dr. Hall, first question for Brandon. Well, no problem. Again, congratulations, Brandon, on the, the new baby. Uh, but um, thank you. No problem at all. So Brandon, so now, you know you're from Detroit, and um, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Detroit. I know that at a certain point, you guys are moving out there to the suburbs, but before then, you know, Detroit's a pretty tough place. Tell us about how it was like growing up there. Well, you know, I grew up in, in, in Detroit. I also grew up in West Bloomfield, so I grew up in, in, in the hood and the suburbs, so I kind of had a, a both of an experience. So. You know, I, I'm very diverse in, in my thinking because uh, my father, you know, we, you know, as as a spiritual leader, my father was 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 very um, big on, on on teaching us how to what's the word uh, embrace cultures and how to be a, a, a part of uh, different cultures. So I, I I never really just stuck in in one area in Detroit. It is rough growing up, but at the same time, it's like 
we had a, I had such a good covering with my my parents and you know just just the mentors I had. I was a lot of, around a lot of social, political, and and religious uh, uh, movements in in my in my growing up. So I was pretty protected by a, a great group of men who who were very um, um, instrumental in just the way I, I grew up. So yeah. So you so kind of what Chris was saying is you had two different. Uh, lifestyles you lived in certain ways, meaning like when you were growing yeah. up in one area to the next, how did you transition? So it went from really challenging to a middle-class environment. Like how do you explain that to the suburbs? So you, you know. no, I mean, it, it, went, it went more so just like uh, lower middle-class. Well, I mean, from when I can remember, see my, my parents, I'm the youngest. So when my kid, mm -hmm. my children, my brothers and sisters were born. We, you know, we didn't have anything, but I wasn't. So I'm the youngest. So we started coming into, I guess, uh, you know, in the '90s, everyone was coming into money. With, with the '90s, the middle class just rose up, and so we went from uh, poverty to middle class to, you know, where we are now, which is, uh, you know, my parents are are doing well, and you know, we 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 we. Uh, you know, it, it, but even even no matter where we were, the, the mental state of, of how we, we thought was always a, a freedom to us anyway. So it was never just, okay, we didn't have any money. We had family. So that was the best thing about it. Oh, that's great. And that's the uh, the thing. But you learn from that process and you learn. But you that's interesting you say about the growth of the 90s, the middle class, which, again, yeah. we get back again for sure. Uh, that growth again for does not shrink. I hope, hopefully, that's when I, I believe that's when everything is going amazing um, in the world, and it's just it's like they just pulled the plug out of nowhere. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. All right, Doctor Hall. Next question. Wow, and that's that's very interesting. That's what we see, you know, uh, on this show. These inspiring, inspiring um, um, life stories, you know, where they come from humble backgrounds and. And, and go to do great things. That's great, Brandon. Now, you know, I know there was some time, you know, during schooling where I was a class clown, you know, but I was never a class president. Oh my God, tell me about that, Brandon. You were class president one time? In high school? I was class clown and class president. Yes, I was. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I used my charm to get everybody to vote for me at the time because I would go to every, every, every table and just make them laugh and say, look, vote for me for class president. But yeah, that, you know, you got to sometimes use sense of humor for truth and then i think that that propelled me to be able to do both because you know governing is is something that uh things i i i think that's in in kind of like you know i won't say politics but just changing issues i was always big on that but i always didn't want to take everything too seriously either when it pertains to how you come at it and 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 uh uh campaigning so i was just i was just funny with it and then I was able to be the class clown and class president. Just kind of, you know, was I used my, my 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 wit for for to move issues. So yeah. Were you a senior Incredible. your class president? No, I was I was uh that's when I was a sophomore. Then I started getting into like the prom, the popularity contest. I was also homecoming king every year. So yeah. Oh wow. Mr. Popular. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. I mean, you know, but it was shortly lived by by jealousy and 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 people, and I just like ran from it. But you know, I thought popularity is something that I really wanted, but I think it was just something that was a means to an end. At, at, you know, even in my life now, popularity is like you think you want it, but it's like you got to make sure you do something with it that's positive. That's how I believe. All right, 
Next question, Dr. L. Wow, wow, that's that's so that's so true, Brandon. It's very, very incredible. So now, how did you did you always want to go into comedy, and um, how did you end up going, getting into comedy? Uh, I got in comedy by doing. I was doing comedy in my father's church. I started by that, and um, you know what we did. What we did is 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 I used to just grab the mic and just just go go to town and just have fun. And then you know from that I just start doing the road in Detroit. Start uh, traveling the road in Detroit, and then from that I went from that to you know going going out of town to do comedy. Uh, comedian H.B. Sanders hit me up and he said, you want to come out of town? Went to Toronto and Montreal at the time. I did a comedy show and I was hooked from there. And then after that, I, um, what else? From that, I went to L.A. at 19 and did uh, three minutes at the Laugh Factory and was, was discovered. And that's kind of when my career just took off from an acting. So I was really a comedian first. I was a comedian first. And then, um, I went to acting, so yeah. Interesting when you talk about comedian first to acting. That's the big transition that a lot every comedian dreams that they're going to be an actor, right? When they get on stage, they yeah. love to perform, but the comedy life is a challenging life, especially for comedians now with COVID. It, yeah, and, it is. And that to get that opportunity, how many producers and directors and, and agents are looking for comedians and acting is it is there a good percent or is it really just finding the right niche and then they find you well the right now the game has changed bro you got you can make your own content i just produced my movie trap city that's coming out uh this this uh late fall uh you got to do it yourself now you got to really push and do it yourself that's that's the way it has to be done you know um when you when you when you wait on somebody these days, it'll never get done. You gotta really go and at least try to, if you are gonna do it the, the traditional route, try to become, get a name and, and then do it yourself. That's what we're doing over here at KOE Studios. We, we make our own content. We got a film coming out. We, we distribute films, all that stuff, so. That's a great advice that I think that people, it's different before. You only had certain opportunities and doors to open up. Now you can open your own door up because of the influencer, because of the opportunity to have a platform of your own to make a change. And if you promote it right and you find the right people, then the opportunities come, not waiting on other people. Right, Brandon? That's what it sounds like. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and, exactly. And, and that's the process because, again, how many auditioning opportunities, but you think about those comedians that do break that glass ceiling and leave comedy to move to acting and they really develop. So tell us that story, yeah. Brandon Moore, about that story of going from, you know, comedian to actor, how did it happen? I mean, it was just natural. I like, I just auditioned my first time. My first uh, film audition for was a uh, fat Albert. And I didn't get that. I got a, a movie called Roll Bounce, the same cast director. She says he's very talented. So let's just, let's move him over to Roll Bounce. And from that, uh, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, move from there and just, then I just kept doing more roles. My first traumatic role is actually this new, the one coming out called Trap City. So that's my first traumatic role. And I'm excited about it. I'll see you guys the trailer. When, when, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have my publicist to you guys. You guys can check it out. Awesome. All right. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. Just looking forward to that, that dramatic Thank role. You, 
And oh, no problem. And but I mean, I've seen uh, you know, and you had a lot of comedy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, uh, with the Big Mama, and then uh, also um, Wild and Out working there with Nick Cannon. Okay, tell us what that experience was like, and how did you end up on on that show, Wild and Out? I did the same thing, auditioned. It- 